The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. My friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. Thank you for joining us here for this game-by-game game recap show, where we, yes, go game-by-game, game, covering every single fantasy-relevant player along the way. Hopefully, you won your fantasy semifinals. There were some very important news items that came out on Saturday and Sunday morning. We received some important performances from the likes of Tony Pollard, Leonard Fournette, Salvin Ahmed, Chad Hansen, so on and so forth. We'll cover all of those names throughout the show, tell you if their production is something we can use moving forward, and do that for the rest of the league as well. Just a reminder, this week we'll have a normal waiver podcast for week 16 on Tuesday morning, and then Wednesday evening we'll have the game-by-game preview show for week 16 ahead of your holiday week and weekend. All right, let's get it going right now. The New York Jets win a game, Patrick Doherty. They beat the Los Angeles Rams 23-20, to including leading at halftime 13-3. to Pat, I'm going to make it really simple. How'd this happen? Because last week, I believe, against the Seattle Seahawks, 40 points were put on the New York Jets. Now, they come out against a Los Angeles Rams team that has you know, instilled their will, their identity in other teams, running the football, We've seen them pass short passes to Robert Woods and Cooper Cup all over the yard. How, how did the Jets stop it, and how did they win this game? I mean, this was more about the Rams than the Jets. So, how, so first off, the Jets got up thirteen to nothing, uh, like midway through the second quarter, and it was because of a pair of big plays. Uh, they Bryce Hall dropped back in zone coverage. Jared Goff did not see him. He made. It was a poor decision by Jared Goff, you know, kind of even though it was a corner, kind of like the classic linebacker interception, but it was really just a better play by Bryce Hall. So that set the Jets up with good field position and then a blocked punt. So mm. you know, two huge Jets plays in the first half, but it was really just like it, classic everything went wrong half for the Rams. So they had those two huge plays. Uh, Cam Akers tweaked his ankle at one point and missed a series. The series he missed was a three and out. A uh, number of three and outs um, from the Rams, and you know the Rams. So, like writ large, the game. I mean, the Rams played better after halftime, but you know people will be clowning on the Jets, like, oh, you know, the Jets screwed up getting Trevor Lawrence. You know, like they can't even tank right, and they didn't play that well. Like they didn't. Yeah. They weren't like calling like a super aggressive game. I mean, Frank Gore had twenty three carries for fifty nine yards. I mean, the Rams just didn't. The Rams just played horribly. They just dug themselves too big of a hole early. Jared Goff was just really atrocious in the first half. And the switch flipped after halftime, but some you know non-aggressive play calling by Sean McVay, kicked a field goal. 
when he should have gone for it. And the next drive, he went for it and didn't get it right. fourth down. It was just like one of those everything went wrong games for I, Rams. I think the scenario that you're talking about is about like six and a half minutes left. Sean McVay on a fourth down kicks a field goal um, instead of going for it, like you just mentioned. And then they don't have another chance to to score a touchdown on on a longer drive. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these stats, Pat. And Sam Darnold was just 22 of 31, 207, a score. Frank Gore, 23 carries, 59 yards, a touchdown. Jamison Crowder, the leading receiver with 66 yards. You know, whenever Chris Herndon goes over 45 yards, Pat, the Jets win this season. (laughs) The Jets win this season. But it's really is, it really is just those two plays. And Pat, what's crazy is for as bad as they have been this year, the Jets have now scored on eight opening drives in a row including I think six straight touchdowns or six touchdowns in that span. That's incredible. Which tells us, you know, Adam Gase deserves a third head coaching job. He can script. Uh, no one's that's the, that's the only series he's scripting all, all game long, Pat. That's the only one. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at you would have to think if we were going to talk about like theoretical Jets upset, you know, uh, like there'd have to be like a busted coverage where like Brashad Perriman scores like a 75 yard touchdown. Right. You know, like Denzel Mims wins like three 50 50 balls. Uh, none of that happened. They had three gains over 20 yards, but none over 24. Uh, like the biggest play of the game was really an 18 yard touchdown to Ty Johnson. This was just the Rams. I mean, the Rams just gave this away. Um, I mean, you got to give the Jets a little credit, of course, but this was not. Again, this was not the Jets coming out and like, we're going to ruin our tank. We got to win this game. They just kind of like stood by and let the Rams give them this game. And even the Jets' best player defensively, Quinn Williams, left this game. I mean, it's still, it's still mad. So, Pat, okay, Jared Goff, 22 of 34, 209, two touchdowns and interception. You mentioned Cam Akers leaving with an ankle early on, 15 carries, 63 yards, because he, he was able to come back. What does this tell us at large about the Rams, who – almost certainly are still going to make the playoffs, have been up and down this season, do have questions, but at other times, again, they have imposed their will on their opponents. What questions do you have now moving forward? Does it all go back to the quarterback who, when everything is going in rhythm, when the play caller can keep him protected, then they can be successful. And when that's not the case, when they're working from behind the scoreboard and we have to think outside of structure, it all goes haywire. You mean the takeaway has to be, yeah, just no instant Jared Goff offense, even against arguably the worst defense in the league. One that you said 
last week against the Seahawks basically looked like it quit. And and Jared Goff, I said he played better after the second half, but he almost threw another interception, an identical play to again a dropping of Rice Hall. He just really, really loves the linebacker interception. He's the master of that. And yeah, I mean, and two, one of the so when Sean McVay did actually go for it on a fourth down, they dialed up like a one-on-one shot. I can't remember who the receiver was. Jared Goff couldn't hit the throw. Uh, in the second half, their biggest play was a Robert Woods rush. And yeah, yeah, I mean, even against the New York Jets, Jared Goff cannot put an offense on his shoulders. And they are in big trouble, you know, if they don't get an early lead. And they're in big trouble if it gets beyond two scores. Both those things happened. And the one thing I'll say about the Rams' uh, rushing attack, that even with Cam Akers tweaking his ankle, getting taped up, missing a series, uh, Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson still combined for only four touches. So no, like, new usage, no, like uh, – Going away from Cam Akers, it does still appear to be Cam Akers and only Cam Akers heading into week 16 against the Seahawks. Yeah, $57 million guaranteed, Pat, just doesn't get you what it quite used to. Uh, that's And I think he tried to lay it up to Gerald Everett, who got a push off, like, and still the pass just was a bad location. Anyways, Robert Woods had 56 yards in the score. Cooper Cup, 39 yards on five catches. Let's move on to the other game that you had. You actually had three. Get a heavy dose of Patrick Darty today. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts narrowly, and I mean narrowly, beat the Houston Texans 27-20. to 20. Basically, the Texans were in the end zone to potentially tie or even win this game. But Kiki Cutie on like the two-yard line fumbles into the end zone, and the Colts recover with about 12 seconds left to carve out and keep this W. Pat, Phillip Rivers, efficient 22-28, 228. Two touchdowns. Now, in our head, we've thought, oh, T.Y. Hilton burned this secondary a couple weeks ago. He's going to do it again. Four catches, 71 yards, so that's fine. But the big day went to Zach Pascal. Six targets, five receptions, 79 yards, and two touchdowns. How'd it happen? Well, you know, on our Sunday preview show, I mean, people were sending in questions like, please stop talking about Zach Pascal today. We've talked enough about him. And yeah, T.Y. Hilton, you'd expect a repeat against the secondary that's on like its third or fourth string at this point. But credit to Romeo Cornell. uh, They were ready to stop T.Y. Hilton today. And Phillip Rivers took what the defense gave him, which was a lot of like wide open Zach Pascal, who I think had three total catches over his past three games and like 40 total yards over his past three games. And he ran a nice double move on one of his touchdowns. The second touchdown, he had a nice lunge for the end zone. And I mean, with some Michael Pittman, you know, not making a ton of plays lately, uh, he really stepped up. Because uh, with T.Y. Hilton, you know, now the teams know they have to game plan for him again. Uh, someone's going to have to step up. And if it wasn't Michael Pittman uh, today, it was Zach Pascal. And you know, Philip Rivers, you know, kind of getting in that breeze zone where he's mm. actually avoiding turnovers lately. Um, it's not like lighting up fantasy box scores, but he's averaging like eight yards per attempt every game. He's getting like two touchdowns every game. And uh, he's not forcing the issue, which, you know, can always be uh, the problem with today. The fact that he was locking on to Zach Pascal today is like Philip Rivers is like actually taking what the defense is giving him. And uh, it was a very good performance from Philip Rivers, even if it was a, excuse me, low wattage fantasy performance. Let me ask about the running backs because Jonathan Taylor clearly owned this backfield. Naeem Hines did well in his five carries, 43 yards. But Jonathan Taylor, 16 carries, 83 yards, and a touchdown. Still going strong. Four catches as well, Pat. Yeah, it was a great day. He's averaging 127 yards from scrimmage now over his past four games. But it was kind of a disappointing day uh, in the context of his beginning of the game. The opening series, he had 31 of his yards and his touchdown. Mm-hmm. It looked like it's me another one of those days where Jonathan Taylor just went totally nuts. 
and over 150 yards from scrimmage. And for whatever reason, the rest of the game, he got quote unquote only 15 touches after the first drive and just didn't hit a big play, but he was making dangerous cuts, you know, just looking so much quicker, like at that first level of the defense, so much savvier. Um, Jordan Wilkins didn't receive a single touch today. So this is officially like from after being a three man committee all season, this is now much more conventional bell cow and change of pace backfield. And, Jonathan Taylor, yeah. Final, if you made it to week 16 with Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he's going to be like a top five or six back again. On the Texan side, Deshaun Watson tried to do it all, Pat. 33 of 41, 373, two touchdowns, and five sacks. And I think a lot of those were him trying to hold on to the football and buy some time. And obviously the Texans offensive line was overwhelmed at times by the Colts defensive line. The rushing production was a wash for everyone. I mean, David Johnson, eight carries, 27 yards. But what we haven't seen and what we've never seen from Deshaun Watson is throw to running backs. And, Pat, what happened today? David Johnson, 11 targets, caught all 11 for 106 yards. Where on earth did this come from? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because David Johnson, I think, twice all year had caught more than two passes. And it was like three and four. So, like you said, this had not happened all year. But as we know, David Johnson, I mean, his signature skill is pass catching. Uh, so it just finally, I think we're just seeing the adjustment from Deshaun Watson in this post Will Fuller era, where you know Brandon Cooks too, kind of not 100 percent health healthy probably after the neck injury last week, and kind of lacking that really dangerous vertical threat uh, that the Texans always have. So Deshaun Watson, kind of like Philip Rivers, just taking what the defense is giving him, like picking apart the zone, just settling, finding the seams in the zone, and this hadn't never hadn't happened with David Johnson, but I mean, we knew he had this in him, and without Duke Johnson. It just finally, like the stars, kind of aligned for this actual David Johnson receiving performance. Uh, so I, I don't know if this is repeatable. Like if Duke Johnson comes back next week, um, but I mean, we know that David has this in him, and we know that this is just the way that the Texans' offense is set up right now. With Kiki Cutie, yeah. Chad Hansen can kind of do both, um, but yeah, they're, they're just going to have to think smaller. And Deshaun Watson successfully did that on Sunday. And Hanson was wide open on his 38-yard touchdown. Now Kiki Cutie scored as well. He always scores against the Colts, it seems like. Um, but, Pat, this, like, goes back to one of these elements of football and just the preparation for what we do where we can look at, I don't know, 50-plus games in the history of Deshaun Watson, cite stats that are real and meaningful and trends, and then say, well, this absolutely can't happen. And then it does. And then it does. And uh, I think that's just part of what makes this lucky, part of what makes fantasy football fantasy football. Because um, I highly doubt we ever, ever see a running back associated to Deshaun Watson have 11 targets, 11 receptions, and over 100 yards again. But I could be wrong. Maybe it happens next week, too. Yeah, it's true. He could have a 15-year career. This could never happen again because he just he thinks bigger. He thinks bigger than this. All right, let's close with the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. The Dolphins winning 22-12. to um, Pat, it feels like every single week, either because of his play or the people around him, Tua Tungavailoa and the Dolphins have a slow start. I mean, they didn't have a single point in the first half in this game. But when I went back and rewatched the highlights and caught some of this live, Pat, I was thoroughly impressed with Tua. And I understand, like, the stat line shows 20 of 26 – 145 and one interception. When you look at it, he only had three carries, nine yards, but two touchdowns. And the reason I am impressed, and you can tell me if you disagree with this, is because he's working with absolutely nobody. 
I mean, Preston Williams gone, Devontae Parker gone, Mike Kosicki gone, bad offensive line to adequate at best. Those carries while in short yarded situations near the goal line, Pat, were extremely impressive because he was very decisive and rifled through, you know, fit through a Patriots defense that has given some other quarterbacks, including Justin Herbert, massive fits this season. And even in some of the passes, Pat, he was able to find space, find time, or be quick when he needs to as well. I thought Tua, again, was quite impressive in this start. He was just a rookie quarterback living within his means. And, you know, that's not very common for a rookie, especially against the New England Patriots. And yet he made the big early mistake. You know, they're down in the red zone. He was getting sacked and he forced a ball to Lynn Bowden that was picked off. And it was a bad decision, but he didn't let it compound the rest of the game. It, like it's, it's like Tua, you know, it hasn't like we've talked about endlessly at Rotor. It hasn't been like the easiest on the eyes. But like, as you said, like the supporting cast today was just a joke. And like, uh, I mean, he didn't have a Jakeem Grant. So his number one weapon, you know, is Lynn Bowden, who that as a guy, as a rookie, who's already been traded this year, you know, doesn't have an official position. It's like Durham Smythe. And yeah, I mean, he's making good decisions when he does throw. It's usually decisive. You know, he's not like, uh, he's not like lucking into, he's making the right decisions. He's not turning the ball over at all, despite that end zone interception today. And yeah, I mean, this was basically a heroic effort with his entire skill core. And you know, like recently hurt too, like all hurt last week. So they're kind of like remaking it on the fly. And yet adding that dual threat to a three-yard touchdown where he had a nice shoulder fake for the score and a one-yard touchdown. And I mean, it's very rare. Like you, like, like I said, it was just like very rare to see a quarterback, a rookie quarterback living within their means. But that's what he was He was not taking stuff that wasn't there. And he was just doing what he needed to do on any given play. Smythe had 40 yards, Bowden had 37 yards, and both led the team. Uh, but we do need to talk about the running backs, Pat, because Miles Gaskin still isn't back. We've seen DeAndre Washington lead the backfield previously, not today. Uh, Salvin Ahmed had 23 carries, 122 yards, and a touchdown. Matt Breida, 12 carries, 86 yards. Finally, Matt Breida was unleashed. Um, and he looked good, Pat. Both had long runs, 24 for Matt Breida and 31 for Ahmed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird, though, because so first up, Salvan Ahmed, uh, the 100-yard rushing performance, the first by a Dolphins running back since Kalen Balage in uh, December of 2018, if you want to know how things have been going, in a backfield that was led by Ryan Fitzpatrick last season has been just a revolving door all this year. And yeah, so really much needed. They had over 250 yards rushing today. A much needed stabilizing performance from Salvin Ahmed. Uh, yeah, the takeaway was kind of Matt Breida, who like the Dolphins like look for reasons not to use. I'm like clearly ahead of DeAndre Washington, who did not register a touch. And it would look like we have like a you know in a normal backfield, it's like okay, we know what the Dolphins are going to do in Week 16. It's going to be Ahmed carrying the mail, and then Matt Breida mixing in for the change of pace. But then we have Miles Gaskin probably coming off the COVID-19 list and. We just have no idea what the workload delineation is going to be, you know, against a very, very poor Raiders defense. So a huge heroic day for the Dolphins rushing attack uh, in week 15, but really we, we don't know what it means going forward for week 16. Anything on the Patriots? I mean, speaking about being anemic on offense, that's exactly what the Patriots are. Cam Newton, 17 to 27, 209 did have 38 rushing yards as well, which is quite different than the rushing performance that we saw in week one against the Dolphins, which I think included two rushing touchdowns. We know Damian Harris is out. So Sonny Michelle had 10 carries, 74 yards. James White, four catches, 52 yards. And the leading receiver, Jacoby Myers, back to hogging all the targets, 10 targets, seven receptions, and 111 yards. 
it's just it was disappointing for the Patriots from a number of angles, but it, most disappointing the fact because like so Sony Michelle came in and he had like four or five runs that were like eight or nine yards or longer. Like this is an interior line that can still like blow open huge holes in the middle of the field, but it just goes to waste because they can't threaten people at all with the pass. And like they are, they are set up that they could do be one of the league's very best rushing teams. I mean, even with Sony Michelle, it's that there's, there's nothing whatsoever to take pressure off of it. So if they don't get like two or three rushing first downs on a drive, it's like it kind of just stalls and goes nowhere. And it was just very hard to watch the offense and not kind of feel like, you know, what might've been with this team, just like one or two more weapons or one or two fewer injuries. Uh, Cause yeah, they were creating big runs for even Sony Michelle. There's just not enough around him or not enough around Damian Harris to make this offense work. The Arizona Cardinals stay in the playoff race, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 33 to 26 with the Cardinals improving to eight and six on the season. John Daigle had this game for us. Daigle, we get back the Kyler Murray that we love 27 of 36, 406, three touchdowns, an interception, eight carries, 29 yards and a touchdown. We went through that stretch that, I believe coincided with a shoulder issue, but now we seem to be out of it. The light at the end of the tunnel, and we've seen Cliff open up the offense a little bit more with the usage of DeAndre Hopkins. What did you see? Are you believing in Kyler Murray to finish this year strong so that the Cardinals can make the playoffs? A career high 406 yards passing for Murray and the third time the Cliff Kingsbury offense in his era with the Cardinals has surpassed 500 yards on the ground. Uh, terrific day overall for Murray. I would argue among all the games I've watched of his since joining the Cardinals, this was his best in particular, passing outside of the pocket. And I think we can attribute that, honestly, to Philadelphia being banged up across the board. We talked about this in our start-sit show the hour before kickoff, is that Murray was such a terrific and safe play because Philadelphia was struggling at in the secondary, missing two to three of their starting corners. And Murray just picked them apart. It seemed like it was going to be a soft and slow start because on the opening possession, Hopkins fumbled the ball inside the 10-yard line, turning it over. But still, you look at the final numbers, and it exuded just that this game. Back and forth, even when it seemed, we'll talk about Hurts and the Eagles offense in a bit, but when it seemed like Murray put them away, the Eagles always had something to respond with. But yes, overall, this was Murray and DeAndre Hopkins in particular having their way with the Eagles defense. And that included a Murray end zone interception, which was an awful decision, but he made up for it with so many other great plays, including a ludicrous catch by DeAndre Hopkins, I believe along like the left sideline, 11 targets, nine receptions, 169 yards and a score for Nuke. I mean, that's over 115 more than the next closest receiver on the team, which was Darren Arnold, who is kind of turning into like a big play threat over the middle Mm -hmm. of the field that Kyler can just like throw the football up to and he comes down with it. Even Larry Fitzgerald had a touchdown. I mean, what disappeared for a while, and we saw it in Nuke's route charts, Daigle, where he was just stuck to the left side. He was running these shorter routes. He was trying to get peppered with targets. But now, you know, a 45-yard completion, I'm sure he had other targets down the field. That's imperative for this offense because he is the other special player on it other than Kyler Murray. It's as if his gloves were dipped in super glue beforehand. So many times he was asked to jump up in double coverage and tight coverage and haul in 50-50 balls that 
not many, if any, receivers in the league can make outside of him. Even his touchdown, his 20-yard score, to, that was the go-ahead one with less than eight minutes remaining in the final quarter, was a spectacular grab. And he just did that time and time again. I don't know if it's because like he has the strongest hands in the entire league. I'd like to ask him that personally, like if he does finger workouts or something. But clearly he makes it easier to grasp balls with his fingertips than other receivers do around the league. He even at one point... He dropped the ball and he came to the sideline and threw his gloves down and got new gloves. And everyone just thought, oh, um, habitual player, right? He gets rid of them, tries just something new. But he said afterwards to media that actually they were only 4X and he was looking for 5X because they were so small. <laughs> so I guess it could be that the fingertips also would stick them on him or something. Either way, the gloves, whatever it is, helps. And uh, Hopkins now 11 targets in three consecutive games, closing the year as he opened it as a top five matchup proof option. And this goes back to the idea and the concept, Daigle, that we just can't entertain the notion or, or comprehend it of just what professional athletes are like, like the caliber of athleticism that they have, just the physicality differences that they have. I mean, think about just going through life differently if your hands were two inches, three inches larger. And that, that, I mean, that's NBA players, that's DeAndre Hopkins, that's so on and so forth. And I mean, it would make a massive difference just in terms of being able to accomplish things like playing football, like coming down with ridiculous catches. Having to choose between 4X and 5X gloves are never <laughs> an issue you all have in life. So we, we don't have to worry you know, about it. We could go off the rails and do that with shirts, but that's not something we want to do. Um, I could get there with a few more NFL seasons <laughs> in my belt. Don't worry. Let, let's quickly close on the Cardinals with the backfield because it's completely split. Kenyon Drake, 10 carries, 26 yards. We know that Kenyon Drake has been living off of carries inside the 10-yard line. I mean, he's among the highest high-value touches in the league. But once again, like it was earlier in the year, Chase Edmonds seems to be much more proficient in the opportunities that he got. 11 carries for 46 yards, three catches, 19 yards, and a touchdown in the year. And in a game that Edmonds came in as a true question mark, the report from Ian Rapport was that he would be limited if he was even active. This is the first time all year in a full game together, Edmonds out-touched Kenyon Drake, uh, 14 to 12. It was an odd occurrence because I actually thought that Drake would get more touches, and a lot of people did, playing him in DFS as a cheaper option at running back. But yeah, this was an Edmonds day, even scoring from inside the 10-yard line on one of Murray's passing touchdowns. So a confusing split. I'm genuinely indifferent. I don't know why or what happened because it didn't seem to be a passing of the torch either. But Edmonds was, again, featured in the passing game over Drake. Let's go to the Eagles. Jalen Hurts was asked to throw the football 44 times. Completed 24 of them, was also sacked six times, 338 yards, three touchdowns in the air, also 11 carries, 63 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Just his second start in the NFL Daigle, barely any time before that on NFL field, yet the Eagles, Doug Peterson, everyone else already asking him to carry this football team. The most completed passes 20 plus yards downfield seven since Nick Foles did so in 2018 for the Eagles and Hurts is 37.8 fantasy points today there have only been two other quarterbacks in their first two career starts to eclipse that mark uh Eric Hipple who I actually don't know does that ring a bell yeah I used to call him Hypo, but I Hypo, it okay be, it might be Hipple I it probably not no uh I can't I don't can't pick him in my lineup I don't know what team he played for <laughs> and then uh Matt Flynn who I can pick out of a lineup and I know who he played for oddly enough but yeah Hertz is 37.8 joins that crew now 29 carries in his past two games uh just 
a tremendous player that we won fantasy and has shown life to the Eagles. Again, every single time the Cardinals had an answer, the Eagles did too. And you look at 24 completions for 338 yards. It's because he just tries to make big plays happen, which is what we want from our quarterbacks. Even Alshon Jeffrey, I would argue, picked up over 50 yards of, of downfield pass interferences in this game because Hertz was just giving him a chance every single time, even before Jalen Rager left with an ankle injury, getting chances downfield as well. So Hertz has instilled explosiveness into this offense, even given two shots at the end of the game, Hail Marys, that you think – Hail Marys are not a complicated act, I'm sure. Like, you just lob it into the end zone, right? But so many times we see veteran quarterbacks launch it out of the end zone or put it out of position. Even Hertz's Hail Marys were beautiful. Just, like, drops that came up and just trickled down as lawn darts, hoping someone could jump up and grab them. Neither were successful, of course, but it came down to that, where the Eagles legitimately had a chance, no matter what the Cardinals did on offense, because Hertz was willing to answer. I think we can also say that we don't really want to play anyone associated to him in the passing game, despite all of those attempts, because we just don't know where the football is going. I mean, Zach Ertz on two catches, 69 yards, leading receiver. Ashton Jeffrey, like you mentioned, 63 yards on two catches. Yes, Jalen Rager got eight targets, five receptions, 49 yards, but I don't know how stable that is. Quez Watkins had a cool spin move to get in the end zone. Mm-hmm. I know Dallas Goddard dropped a touchdown as well. I mean, but... As much as we like Jalen Hurts and how important he is to fantasy football, you kind of almost have to play him naked, as some call it, and not associate him with the pass catcher. Even for start-sit questions, everyone asks Hurts or, or not Hurts, Goddard or Henry or Goddard or Hawkinson. I mean, Goddard had eight targets, but still it's only four catches, 39 yards because of that drop touchdown. You just never know with Hurts. He's still spreading the ball around. Um, it, it, this offense in the past two games has become Hurts single-handedly and then Miles Sanders. What about Miles Sanders? Because just 80 total yards, 64 of those on the ground, excuse me, 90 total yards, I should say. Um, last week, he had that really long play that allowed him to get in the end zone that kind of spiked his week. But other than that, it, was he kind of just stuffed? Because he just had a long run of 10 yards today. The box score obviously did not pop, but yeah. not only the 10-yard run, a 26-yard reception, his only catch on the day. And then also, if you look closer, 100% of the team's carries. First time all year for a running back for the Eagles that way. No other running back carried the ball here. 17-0 to in favor of Sanders. And then, of course, 18 of the team's 19 running back carries, or touches. And now he has 36 touches to Boston Scott's five over the last two games and has played at least 81% of the offensive snaps in both those games. It has become Miles Sanders' backfield for as long as Hertz is under center. And now, like we've talked about two weeks ago, and trying to pick up Hertz and trying to uh to focus on Sanders, they get the Cowboys in week 16. So Hertz, Sanders, I imagine will be in championship lineups if you've hung around or picked them up to this point. Now let's go to the other game that you had. The Seattle Seahawks on the road beat the Washington football team 20 to 15. Washington's still in line for the NFC East, depending on what happens on Sunday night, which is happening right now. Uh, they're six and eight, and the Seahawks improved to 10 and four. But how impressive was this, Dagle? Because Russell Wilson, 18 of 27, again, only 27 passing attempts, 121 yards, one touchdown, one interception. It didn't seem like we got, you know, a vintage deep ball because these were the long receptions. For Seattle players, 15-15 by DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett today. A combination of the game plan 
and Washington's defense. Of course, they wanted to run the ball. 19 running back carries, 26 carries overall, included Russ's six carries for 52 yards. Uh, but I would say he actually played well given the given the construct of the game. Brandon Shell, of course, was out, so they were getting eaten alive at the right tackle spot yet again, which we've seen now for three weeks in a row. Um, Russell was under pressure constantly, even though I don't believe he took a single sack, right? Correct. Uh, which is really odd because that would also – that explains his rushing yards as well because he was rushing out of the pocket. But it was being forced this offense to kick two field goals in their first two possessions. And then um, his interception to close the half was a tip ball by Montez Sweat. It, the ball just flipped elsewhere. So Washington actually front seven, as we expected, was doing their part in this potential wild card NFC preview game. But then again, it just came down to them being more uh, assertive uh, opening the opening the second half, the first possession, a Carlos Hyde fifty yard run. Who wasn't even involved really? He just had that one big run. But then Washington steered down the barrel of a twenty to three deficit for two quarters, and that's when Seattle's defense kicks in, and Haskins has no choice but to try to make plays downfield. Yeah, Metcalf just forty three yards and six targets. Lockett, who has been invisible, thirty four yards on seven targets. How'd Chris Carson look? Fifteen carries, sixty three yards. I know Carlos Hyde had the long touchdown run of fifty yards. Um, but Chris Carson seems like he's still working back to health. Did the look that way too? Yeah, and 15 and 19 running back carries, though. That's what we want to look at here. Uh, like I said, Carlos Hyde, only two carries on the day, and one of them just happened to be that 50-yard touchdown run. But it's not like he was being used more. Rashad Penny, his first carries and first appearance of the 2020 season, and there seems to be a role now for him because DJ Dallas was carted off in an air cast. So I imagine he's not coming back, which means the third running back spot can go to Penny. But overall, what we've seen now in this game is that it's Carson's backfield, as we expected, because remember, he was benched with the starters last week in the third quarter and that's the only reason why Hyde's box score looked like he was involved more but that's not the case now we know this is Carson's backfield yeah, maybe I'm just nitpicking a little bit but I am a little nervous that like all the explosiveness is gone from this Seattle offense I know they scored 40 against the Jets that's totally valid but 20 points in this game 12 points against the Giants 23 points against the Eagles 28 points against the Cardinals 23 points against the Rams. So they're going to have to do better than that. I mean, especially to finish the season Rams and 49ers, but we'll see who they draw in the playoffs once they get there. Uh, Washington side. While we talked about Russell Wilson, just 27 attempts, Dwayne Haskins was asked to throw the football (laughs) 55 freaking times today. And Daigle on 55 attempts, he didn't even cover 300 yards, 295 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, sacked four times. Look, I went back and watched the highlights of this game. And there were some streaks where you're like, oh, that's a nice throw. That's a nice throw, which you're going to get when he throws the football 55 times. But often when you hear like, oh, a player in his second year or his third year or whatever, the game's slowing down for him. I still think the game is super fast for Dwayne Haskins, especially when he's pressured and he's just not comfortable in it yet. I admittedly bought into the fluff pieces. Uh, I bought into the idea, like he said, sitting behind Alex Smith. He learned so much about the preparation of the game and how to prepare as a starter. And then we got into this one and how they opened it, of course, was what we should have expected him just getting the ball out as quickly as possible. So it can limit the decision-making he has to do just process the game as fast as they can for him. But then again, when you're down 20 to three and you have two quarters, you can't just dump the ball off. You have to make things happen. And while I do agree with you, there were times where he'd make a good throw. Yeah. Almost always did he follow that up 
with a vintage Dwayne Haskins throw. Um, his first interception, the play before, was a great downfield strike to Terry McLaurin. The very next play, he hones in on McLaurin, double coverage, throws it right to the defender. It's just like, dude, what are you, what are you even doing here? Uh, they play Carolina next week. I have already talked about this in my waiver Q&As and in the waiver wire column that we were already picking up Carolina's defense to prepare them for week 16. And if we get Haskins under center, they at least have a high floor because we know we're going to get a couple turnovers here. Washington's already favored by, I think, two and a half points in that game, too. Um, Yeah, look, Washington is going to have six wins, maybe even more to finish the season. We know the Bears are in a very similar situation. The Panthers, you just mentioned them, have four wins they could have more and all these teams are going to have quarterback questions heading into 2021. It'll be fascinating to see what each of them do. Uh, two final questions. Well, one comment, Jade McKissick had over a hundred total yards, had a touchdown, nine receptions, which we love to see. Seemed like they manufactured him touches. I want to ask about Logan Thomas. I mean, we can close here because Logan freaking Thomas, a former quarterback at Virginia tech, someone who was once considered a promising prospect because of his high ceiling, was named the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, then taken away before he even got that start because he was just so abysmal in practice. Daigle, he has transitioned into a real tight end, making shoestring grabs, making these low catches off platform, 15 targets, 13 receptions, 101 yards. So cool to see. At least seven targets in three consecutive games now and has led Washington targets in back-to-back games. He is almost the focal point of this offense as they transition from getting injured to Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Again, we don't know if we're going to see 55 temps against the Panthers, but it is clear that the pecking order has quietly become Logan Thomas, and that's what we want from our tight ends. We just want athletes who get a lot of targets, and that's exactly what Thomas is in the league. The Kansas City Chiefs stay in the number one spot of the AFC, beating the New Orleans Saints 32-29. to We'll get to the Saints in a second with Denny Carter. But first, Denny, what else can we say about this Chiefs offense? I mean, Patrick Mahomes, three touchdowns, 254 yards, 47 attempts, 26 completions. So they're still just throwing the football, feeling like they don't need to run, even though, Denny, 41 carries also in this game. I mean, 88 offensive snaps. That's uh, that's dangerous for the Chiefs to have. It's a ton. And yeah, I mean, Mahomes kind of got by on volume today, which we don't see a whole lot. Um, the Saints didn't give up anything downfield. Uh, it was clear that they were just going to make Mahomes check down all day. And that's what he did. And of course, that really benefits Travis Kelsey, who didn't have the biggest day. I think, I mean, he did lead the team in, in receptions and targets. I think he ended up with 68 yards and a touchdown. Um, and now he's 59 yards away from the single season receiving yardage record for tight ends. So we'll probably get that next week. Um, and uh, yeah, so Mahomes just took, took what they gave him. He added some, some rushing uh, production and he also took a, a few big hits, really big hits. The saints were in his face all day, just from the start. Uh, and he scrambled around a lot. Uh, like I said, you know, absorbed a lot of hits. He was sacked four times, which is not something you usually see with him. But, you know, ho-hum, another day at the office, three touchdowns and a, and a win. Also had a 24-yard run in this game. I mean, he still makes those crazy plays that are truly indefensible. Like, I feel like that word is thrown out with other yeah. players across the league. But just how he can, like, drift and weave between pass rushers and then just like throw off his back foot. And they're not, you know, two-yard Jared Goff gains. They're like 17-yard passes to these receivers that are crossing. It's incredible. It's incredible. Anyways, yeah, you mentioned Travis Kelsey, 12 targets, eight receptions, 
68 yards and a score. Sammy Watkins, 60 yards. Tyreek Hill, 53 yards and a touchdown. We need to talk about this backfield, though. Yeah. Because Clyde Edwards-Alaire left late with what was just deemed a leg injury. It looked like he did a split on the field while also getting landed on. Need to be carried off the field by two trainers. He did finish with 14 carries and 79 yards. But it certainly looks like that Le'Veon Bell, at least in the fantasy football championships in week 16, is going to be the lead back. 15 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown today. Yeah, I mean, it really it, it it's hard to imagine that uh, Ceh can make a, a return uh, for next week after seeing that injury and and the way that he was taken off the field in, immediately into the locker room. You know, they didn't bother taking him to the sideline. I think that that's significant, and and um, I would be very surprised if we saw him honestly before the postseason at, yeah. at this point. If if then, I don't know. Um, yeah, but Le- Le'Veon Bell is next in line. You know, if if you were patient enough to kind of just stash him, you can't, you couldn't really play him as long as he's been with the Chiefs. Uh, but you know, if you stashed him, I think you you may have an RB two on your hands next week against Atlanta. And you know, Atlanta is a, a good run defense, but you know, we're talking about you know someone you know in Bell who who can absorb the the uh, passing game work out of that backfield, which is very valuable, as you know. How because this is going to be a conversation discussion all week if CH is ruled out early and the lead back is Le'Veon Bell. How does he look? Because he didn't look good with the Jets. We know that he didn't look good early on with the Chiefs either. But I feel like he's grown into this offense just a little bit more. I'm not gonna call him explosive. Yeah. But we're seeing, you know, traces of the back that we all fell in love with at one point. Well, most of us, other than you, Denny. Yeah, exactly. So um, I actually, I, I drafted Le'Veon Bell as a rookie and I was very happy about that. But Because uh, well, you could get him in like round nine. So that's, I understand. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was big Le'Veon. So um, yeah, he, uh, he looks more decisive to me. Uh, it looks like he is not doing that, that, that's a hesitation stutter step thing <laughs> that he did uh, in Pittsburgh for a while. He's just kind of, you know, hitting the hole of the offensive line and, and, and getting what's there, which I think is probably what the team wants him to do. You know, they, they didn't bring him in to be a, a game breaker, uh, you know, type play. They, they type player, they have a lot of those on the team. So um, yeah, I, I think that he does, he just looks more decisive, more comfortable maybe with the, the offense and um, like I said, if you if you have him on your bench, uh, it'll you're going to have to come up with some great reason not to play him next week. While the Chiefs again ran 88 offensive snaps, uh, the Saints had just let me do the quick 51 mm-hmm. on their side, and the Saints. This is a very different team than the one that we've seen in recent weeks. Michael Thomas out, Drew Brees in, and Denny. The start of this game was one of the worst of Drew Brees' career. I mean, I think he went over five with an interception to LeJarius Sneed along the right sideline. He looked atrocious, like he could barely even throw the football. And there were even occasions where he was doing unbreezed things of like turning away from the line of scrimmage and just getting sacked in the backfield. I don't know. I, his stat line looks fine 15 to 34, not efficient, 234, three touchdowns and an interception. What'd you see with him today? Yeah, well, I, I think we saw a guy trying to protect his ribs um, a lot. And, you know, like you talked about turning away from the line of scrimmage. I mean, a lot of the decisions he made were look like intended to protect 
his injury. I mean, he broke 11 ribs a month ago. I, I would be, I would still be in the hospital. I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> playing in the NFL. So uh, that, that's what it looked like to me. He completed 44% of his passes. That's roughly 30% lower than his, you know, season rate. Um, not, not, not the best. He spread it around a lot, which I know is, is kind of typical for, for Breeze, but um, I mean, Alvin Kamara led, the team with six targets, you know, in a, in a, in comeback mode in, in a negative game script throughout the second half, throughout the entire game, honestly. So yeah, it did start really slow, really bad. Uh, it was their fourth or fifth possession before they got a first down. Uh, and, and so it was, it, it was ugly. He, he somehow threw three touchdowns. I watched the whole game. Obviously I st- I don't know how he did that. <laughs> We expected Alvin Kamara just to get massive work and a negative game script. I would have thought it'd be even more, but you mentioned it six targets, three receptions, 40 yards, and a touchdown. Touchdown was beautiful. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. this hop, skip, and a jump, just avoiding tackers. It looked like he even like glitched through a few, anyways. I was able to get in on, on 21 yards, but then just 11 carries, 11 carries for 54 yards. I mean, that's yeah. not quite the volume as you alluded to with uh, Alvin Kamara. And by the way, Jameis Winston was put on the COVID list this morning. What was Taysom Hill's role in this? Was it back to the, as they like to call it, Swiss Army knife and really just battering ram? Yes, that's that's right. Yeah, I mean, he he got a, a short touchdown, one-yard touchdown on a, on a, on a Tebow-type play um, at the goal line. Um, and he got a couple targets. I think he got the first target of the game, weirdly. It was it was, a, you know, it was that kind of usage that you just don't know what to make of it from a fantasy standpoint. Um, it's, it's, he's more than touchdown dependent. I mean, t- a touchdown is the only thing he's going to produce for you in this, in this role. So you can't, you can't use them. Uh, and, and it just, it looks like they're, you know, uh, focused on continuing to use him in short yardage and touch and goal line situations. The other game you had the Baltimore Ravens just absolutely destroyed the Jacksonville Jaguars 40 to 14. Let's talk about the Ravens. And first, I want to talk about the running backs for once. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I think I read this on Twitter, that Mark Ingram was a healthy scratch. And that led to J.K. Dobbins, 14 carries, 64 yards a score. Gus Edwards, 9 carries, 42 yards. Lamar Jackson, 10 carries, 35 yards, and a mm-hmm. touchdown. We know the Jaguars' defense is just bad and their backups and all that kind of stuff. But this has to be a great trend for J.K. Dobbins, did he look as explosive as the, as the box score reads? He did, he did, and and it looks like, you know, we talked about uh, having a three man rotation. No one gets into any kind of groove, and and I think that we're kind of beyond that with Baltimore's backfield now with Dobbins and, and Gus Edwards being the guys. I mean, it's just it's it's just a two man rotation. And I, I don't think, you know, because of Lamar Jackson and, and the way that he rushes, I don't think we're going to see a Dobbins game of like 20 to 25 carries anytime soon. Um, but also Lamar Jackson's presence as a threat keeps defenders honest and opens up big holes for Dobbins and, and Edwards. Um, Dobbins got the short touchdown in this game, but I, I should note that Gus Edwards got at least two, possibly three carries inside the 10 yard line. So mm. um, Edwards still has some value as a flex going forward. Des Bryant caught his first touchdown since I think 2017. Um, Mark Andrews carried over his great Browns performance for five catches, 66 yards and a touchdown. But Denny, it seemed like the Ravens really wanted to get 
Marquise Brown going early in this contest. We know he had a difficult start to the game against the Browns, but from that first series, seven targets, six receptions, 98 yards. This is basically from a stat standpoint, from a fantasy standpoint, three or four solid performances in a row for Marquise Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind of doing what we were hoping he would do all season here in the waning week. So if you were able to survive, you know, him uh, not being so great for fantasy over all these weeks, I I think that it's, it's paying off now. Of course, that's assuming that you're starting him right now, but um, yeah, I I think that he's kind of reclaimed the role as like a nominal uh, number one receiver for the Ravens. Now, what that means on a, on a low volume passing team, you know, sometimes it's not going to mean a whole lot. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. He has been very productive. He got two downfield shots today, one of which he caught down the sideline. Um, and, you know, like always, every time he catches the ball, he looks about twice as fast as everybody else on the field. <laughs> on the Jaguars end, Denny, the box score doesn't read this, but I thought that this truly might have been one of the worst quarterback performances I've seen all year long. Um, and because, I mean, once again, Jacksonville only scored their 14 points in the second half. It was, what, 26 to nothing at halftime. So it wasn't a football game in the final two quarters. Again, the stat line reads Gardner Minshew, 22 of 29, two touchdowns. But he took five sacks. And again, Denny, I cannot stress this, stress this enough. He looked atrocious in this game. Yeah, I, I don't remember him having such a weak arm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't remember him having a rocket arm either. But he just was floating passes everywhere today. I don't know if he had an injury that wasn't disclosed. I, I really don't know what it was. But every time he needed to fit it into a tight window, it would just flutter. And mm. and it was almost picked. It was – I think I don't actually th- – I think he got away with no interceptions, which is amazing. Uh uh, he he did throw a pick for a touchdown that was called back because after he threw the ball, someone came and hit him in the head. Uh, but it was a, a horrific interception. Uh, it's it's just it's kind of sad because it 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 makes you remember like when he ha- I don't know had a chance to establish himself and it's clearly it was not fun. Happening. He was fun at one point. He was exciting. I think, and again, I'm not saying that this is the end of Gardner Minshew's career. In fact, he's kind of like one of those types that's going to stick around, I think, for a very long time. But whereas he had that magic at points in 2019, like you're mentioning, even maybe at times earlier this year, it just looked like the defense was faster. It was more physical. It just had him figured out. And if that's the case, he doesn't have like an explosive element to his game a strong element to his game, you know, a, a talented element to his game right. uh, that he can compensate for it. And that's, that's not good. I let's quickly close with James Robinson, yeah. who just 35 yards and 16 carries locked into a touchdown, basically uh, in the receiving game. I mean, he has 17 yards, I think, or something close to it. Anyways. Um, look, James Robinson has been a defining player in fancy circles all year long. In fact, and still, he helped you get probably to your fancy championship if you play him this week. But this is two back-to-back questionable weeks, right, with James Robinson? Yes. Yes, it is. So I guess my biggest concern is he got you to this point. Right. Do you still play him? Yeah, in week 16, and I'm looking up who they have, against the Bears. Yeah. Can you? Will you? 
I just, I, I find it hard to believe that someone is going to have something like someone else who would clearly be a better play over Robinson. You know, I, I, I when I wrote him up today, I, I wanted to say, you know, he got lucky with that receiving touchdown, but really the, the appeal of James Robinson in fantasy right now and throughout the season has been that he dominates running back snaps on his t- on his team more than any other running back in in the NFL. He's 90 80 90% of snaps. So he's he's going to get those those chances and yes he made a great over the head uh catch in double coverage and that's not going to happen all the time. But just him being out there all the time and seeing so much opportunity, I think that's kind of just the thing that happens sometimes. So I guess that's the long way of me saying I would play him against Chicago unless, unless I had, gosh, I'm well now, now here's a, a situation. What if you have lady on, on your bench See, and you have, yeah, that, that would be difficult. And I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the Jaguars are in the driver's seat for the number one pick. Uh, and they do have the bears and the Colts next. So uh win seems unlikely. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Chicago Bears improved to 7-7 seven and seven on the season, being the Minnesota Vikings 33-27. Hayden Winks had this game, and Hayden, even in our wildest dreams, we could not have projected 32 carries for David Montgomery in this game for 146 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, he also took one reception for 16 yards. When I watched, I saw some wiggle. I saw some jiggle. I saw some jukes. I saw some dukes in the open field. Maybe David Montgomery's best performance of his career, and he's had some good ones in recent weeks. Yeah, I would say this is a career best game. The 32 carries were a career high. The 146 yards were a career high. And this was, I think, the third or fourth time he scored multiple touchdowns in a game. That was the entire Bears offense. They sprinkled in a little bit of Allen Robinson. Darnell Mooney scored a touchdown. But it was basically just hand the ball off to David Montgomery. And the Vikings defense missing Eric Kendricks, I think that really hurt them. And David Montgomery, like you said, he looks better. Like I, We don't really see in a second season, like about halfway through, then all of a sudden there's a huge change. But that's what we're seeing with David Montgomery. So I don't know if there was an injury that we weren't – like that wasn't being reported on or if this is just like a randomly changed player or if he's just better with Trubisky compared to Foles. But, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is he's he's he is a new player right now and his workload is elite. And that's why he's a top five running back right now. Guaranteed, we hear something at Roto World this summer of, well, this is what David Mon- Montgomery did in week nine to change the course of his career. Like he picked up yoga or found meditation or something like that. Because, yeah, he's a totally different player. And it's, it's, I mean, I was excited for him entering the NFL. I was a little nervous. I remember recording a podcast with Evan when we broke down some of these prospects. And I did say that sometimes when he broke that first tackle, he looked a little bit like David Cobb, if that name rings a bell, in terms of just, like a plotter who's stuck in quicksand in the open field, but he's not like that anymore. I mean, and he was then also carrying defenders into the end zone. That was really fun to see. Um, you mentioned that Allen Robinson, five targets for 83 yards, Donald Mooney, five targets, 49 yards. And Hayden, on some level, they started using 
Mitchell Trubisky is like a little bit of a battering ram. I mean, he had eight carries for 34 yards to go along with 202 yards, a score in the air and an interception. Yeah, they did. And like we've talked about before, a lot of the time when Mitchell Trubisky drops back, a lot of it is first read Allen Robinson and then kind of go, go from there. And sometimes that just means that he's going to scramble around, but he's a big athletic dude and he can run the ball a little bit. And I mean, Trubisky is playing a little bit better than he was earlier in the season. Somehow this doesn't mean that he's good. He's five and two as, as a starter this year. And that is obviously because of opponent and the defense has played well. And it's not because Trubisky's good or anything, but he has played a little bit better. And I think that's helped David Montgomery and Allen Robinson solidify themselves as like top five, top 10 players at their position for fantasy. It makes sense. Even though we talk about, you know, how depleted the Vikings defense is at cornerback and at linebacker with Eric Kendricks. Obviously, Mike Zimmer can still create a game plan. So why not keep it as simplified as possible? And even Darnell Mooney's catch was like this little league pattern near the end zone and just wide open. Um, I was a little disappointed after Cole Komet, you know, was getting like seven, six, all those targets, just barely involved today, two targets uh, for 12 yards. All right. On the Vikings end, Kirk Cousins, 24, 35, 271, two touchdowns. An interception. Justin Jefferson went off. 11 targets, 8 receptions, 104 yards, no scores. What happened to Adam Thielen, though? Just 3 targets, 2 receptions, 11 yards, and 1 score. Well, the entire season, Justin Jefferson's been been the guy between the 20s that's dominating. And then once we get into the red zone, Adam Thielen steps in. He had his 12th red zone receiving touchdown of the year today. That's the most in the NFL. And I just think... Over the long run, you want to be betting on the player that does the most of the damage between the 20s because inside the red zone gets pretty fluky. Not not talking about running backs. That's a different story. But as receivers, Justin Jefferson dominates between the 20s. And he, that does not mean that he's not going to be good in the red zone. Uh, in fact, when Justin Jefferson ran this out route and then the Bears fully collapsed on Justin Jefferson, and that's how Adam Thielen scored his wide-open touchdown. Mm. So I, I just think that Justin Jefferson simply – like in another tier above Adam Thielen as a player. And I think that we're seeing Kirk Cousins lock on to Justin Jefferson more. And I am very comfortably uh, projecting Justin Jefferson to do more damage the rest of the year. Um, he just, he's just so good. I think this was his sixth hundred yard game of the season Jeez. as a rookie. If Justin Herbert wasn't in, in the league this year, I think that Justin, Je- Justin Jefferson would be the offensive rookie of the year. He I mean, he he's going to be like a second round pick in fantasy next year, I think. Yeah. I mean, there are 20 top 10 wide receivers in the NFL right now, but I think Justin Jefferson belongs in that top 10 conversation yeah. already. And, you know, you could kind of see it when going back to 2018, then in 2019 at LSU, I think Joe Brady just wanted, you know, his best route runner in the slot because, you know, he knew Joe Burrow and they could funnel targets to him and it made a lot of sense. They obviously won the national championship, but he's just showing something else, which is difficult to find that rookies are able to do that. Um, but even even when he was in the slot at LSU, it wasn't like the slot role that we kind of envisioned, like that Julian Edelman where everything's with, yeah. with, within five yards of line of scrimmage. He was winning downfield from the slot too. So it was just a matter of just how they wanted to play him. And I think that looking back at some of the analysis for draft during draft season, a lot of it was like, oh, he's just a slot guy. Could you invest in a first-round pick? But when he run like a 4-4-1 and you're an early declare from LSU that was insanely productive. It was it was stunning to me how low people had Justin Jefferson ranked and how low he fell in the draft. I mean, I feel bad for the Eagles. They could have had him. I mean, I don't know if you went back and watched the Minnesota Vikings war room after selecting him, but they they were certain 
that the Eagles were going to select him because they knew they're going to take a wide receiver. And then when he didn't, Spielman just started celebrating like it was no one's business. And even, I mean, it wasn't the fastest start for him either this year, you know? So he was playing behind Ole, Ole BC Johnson for the first two weeks. We crazy. need to investigate these coaches for not getting these rookies onto the field <laughs> early. Like JK Dobbins still hasn't gotten like the full workload until like right now. And I mean, there's a bunch of guys that are like clearly the best player at their position on their team. They just don't get any run for a couple of weeks. It's really weird. Yeah. In previous weeks, Irv Smith had without Kyle Rudolph uh, scored as a top 12 tight end while this week, just four targets, 37 yards. Dalvin Cook still got it done. And this game was really close. I mean, towards the end, the Vikings just couldn't convert in a fourth down, fourth and one, um, or else it would have been maybe a different ball game in terms of the win loss. But in the end, Dalvin Cook, 24 carries, 132 yards, one score, to go along with 27 yards in the air, Hayden, and five receptions. Just dominating. When they're behind, he's going to catch some screen passes. They're not going to completely abandon the run either. And he's just – he's so explosive. And he yep. gets around to the hole, and it's just game over. I mean, he's he's very obviously one of the best running backs in the NFL, obviously one of the best fantasy running backs. And um, I, I don't think they're going to shut him down or anything, so you're going to fire him up next week as a top three, maybe the number one fantasy option of the week. And, yeah, he just he's a total baller. In a game that included 74 points, if my math is correct, Kyle Dvorak, the Dallas Cowboys went at home, being the San Francisco 49ers 41-33. to Both teams are 5-9 and nine now. We heard early Sunday morning, Kyle, that maybe one of the plays of the week, uh, a deciding factor in fantasy games this weekend, Tony Pollard getting the start. Well, on the day, 12 carries, 69 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Then six receptions on nine targets for 63 yards. He seems to be the featured player in this contest. Yeah, man, I didn't realize how much scoring was in this game. It was kind of a quiet game until the end. I truly didn't realize how much it was, but I can go through and kind of name all of them and realize that, yeah, there was a lot of scoring. And yeah, I mean, Tony Pollard, honestly, like he didn't look incredible. I don't think it's difficult, I think, for defenses to give him too much credit when like, uh, or to, you know, not give him credit, I guess, when... Andy Dalton is under center. I think it's probably easier to defend any aspect of an offense when that's the case. And he was kind of bottled up early. I believe his first touchdown was on a Richie James muff punt that they got inside the 10 or five pretty quickly. But then he showed off what like we'd love to see and would be incredible to see with Dak Prescott under center, this incredible like multi-tackle breaking long, I think 40 ish yard run. And I think maybe that's what he adds that Zeke hasn't at least this year for sure. It's not something Zeke has added this year. I think Zeke's long is like a 26 yard run and it took one game for Pollard to show off 10 times the burst, the tackle breaking ability in the context of like, you don't really like, you know, I don't mean to be mean. You don't really have to respect Andy Dalton that much. He didn't look great in this game. And I'm sure it's a lot easier to defend Pollard when that's the case. And uh, it didn't matter, at least on one single run, it didn't matter. It's sort of the Miles Sanders effect where you give a dude 15 shots, he's going to crack one of them. And Zeke just hasn't shown that. Pollard did. That's exactly what I was going to say, where we have been so concerned about the Dallas Cowboys offensive line all year long and how Ezekiel Elliott just lacks explosion and has it seemed like for a while that sure Tony Pollard on 11 of his carries gained just 29 yards. Then he has that one 40 yarder where he broke two tackles, spun away and then put on the jets and just went straight in the field. And then Kyle, he also had a 30 yard reception. I mean, having that receiving work as well, uh, just what an unbelievable day. And if you started him 20 plus points in your fantasy league and almost assuredly helped you get to the semifinals, uh, CD lamb though was the leading receiver. Seven targets, five receptions, 85 yards. You know, Michael Gallup was found on like, I mean, Kellen Moore was dialing up the motion today. There was a lot of it in the red zone and it allowed Michael Gallup to 
be freed in the end zone. But then I want to ask about Amari Cooper. Just three targets, two receptions, 10 yards. You could not have worse timing for that stat line to happen. The funniest thing is that he lost, I think it was like an 11-yard rushing loss. So if you factor that in, I mean, obviously you are factoring that in if you're counting it from fantasy stats. It was like his worst yards from scrimmage day of the year. And he has a five-yard day, and somehow this got below it because of a bad, a, just kind of a, a play that was blown up way, way in the backfield. So really unfortunate timing. I, I don't think it should be incredibly surprising. They have three really talented receivers. Michael Gallup left this game nicked up with like a hip injury. It doesn't seem like the team is too awfully concerned about it. But yeah, you have three really talented receivers. Tony Pollard, incredibly talented receiver out of the backfield. And your quarterback isn't that good. I think these lows are just part of the sort of random nature that's going to come with him competing with you know, arguably the best rookie, at least going into the draft and maybe the second or third best rookie. Now that we're coming up on the end of the year, that's going to happen. You're going to get games where he doesn't get a ton of targets because CD lamb is that good. And honestly, I think Michael Gallup is underrated as the third part of this trio. And we saw it. He scored in a kind of a limited opportunity because he left that hip injury. I think this just kind of happens when Andy Dalton is your quarterback and you have to fight like CD lamb, and Michael Gallup for targets. Someone's not going to eat. You know, and that's how it is without Dak Prescott. And someone's not going to do that. And for a while, Amari Cooper had been a mainstay. Yep. And that just wasn't the case. And by the way, CeeDee Lamb ran home a uh, onside kick return yep. to end this game. And so hopefully they got you another touchdown in your leagues. All right, let's look at the 49ers really quickly. I say it every single week, but you don't want to watch Nick Mullins while he's on the field. But you look later and you see that Brandon Ayuk gets 13 targets, nine receptions, 73 yards, and a touchdown. And you feel really good about your day. <laughs> I think I think Nick Mullins' play kind of reminds me of like Carson Wentz, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston, maybe in that aggressive, mistake prone. But as far as like the fantasy things go, like he does the fantasy things, at least for the guys we care about. Maybe not for himself as much. He's liable to go out and throw a few scores, but more importantly, he is aggressive enough to sustain some drives, and, and the drives he doesn't are typically like bad mistakes that put the ball back in his team's hands pretty quickly. So, I mean, all in all, I think it's almost a, maybe not a better, you know, a benefit that uh, he's playing over Jimmy Garoppolo, but the style of like high variance that he plays the, the aggressive nature at least keeps basically all of the normal guys for, for right now is really just one normal guy. It's going to keep Brandon. Ayuk almost the exact same level. And without George yep. Kittle, without Debo Samuel, that level is borderline wide receiver one, if not outright wide receiver one. Yeah, Nick Mullins can string together like eight good plays in a row and then just have one drive-killing play that's a sack fumble or an interception or something. So like that's why he'll never be probably a consistent starter. But hey, we'll take those eight plays in a row that are positives because so many of them are going to Brendan Ayuk. And Nick C.J. Beathard came in at some point in this game. Like Nick Mullins hurt his elbow, it got hit, and then Beathard comes in and throws for 100 yards and one touchdown on just seven attempts. You summed up what happened well, and the tone of your voice summed up how it felt watching it. You're like, oh, this is just a thing that's happening now. <laughs> it was uh, one of them was a bomb to Kendrick Bourne on a Hail Mary that did not change the outcome of the game. It was seconds left in a multi score game. It, it didn't matter. But, uh, you know, those, it's, it's actually like the exact same thing as Nick Mullins, the uh, aggressive style. In that case, it was just because the game was over. It worked out, I think, like, uh, yeah, 100 yards on a, a very small amount of attempts. And I think Brandon Ayuk logged another like 20 yarder in those final attempts. So yeah, it's like no matter who the backup is, we're going to have good fantasy days, even if the 49ers aren't going to have good actual days. Yeah, Bourne got in. I mentioned that Ayuk got in the end zone. So did uh, Jordan Reed got in. Um, I 
and we'll close on this. Do want to ask you about this backfield because Raheem Mostert has been back into this lineup, but it just doesn't seem like he's 100%. He got 14 carries for 68 yards, but you know, he basically split 50, 50 opportunity with Jeff Wilson. who got 16 carries 60 yards and was the one who got the score here. Well, yeah, Raheem Mostert actually left with that ankle injury too. He went to the locker room, didn't come back. And I mean, it's what he's dealt with all year. It's like the Julio Jones thing where even when they're active, you just feel so little confidence that they will make it out of the game unscathed. So I think Wilson for the fantasy championship, for the people who are listening to this, who have one game left, I would assume is a really interesting pickup because we know how run heavy this team wants to be, if at all possible, even in games where they're like not playing particularly well. I still think they will lean on the run if they have that option because they do it at a pretty like pretty high yards per carry clip, even if it's not the best way to move the ball. Shanahan offenses run the ball well. They didn't give any work really to any of the backups. Jeff Wilson could be the sneaky one-week bell cow. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers turn it around in the second half and improved to 9-5 and five by beating the Atlanta Falcons 31-27. to 27. The Falcons were up 17-0 at halftime. Looked like they were clearly going to take this game, almost a no contest. And it started off with Matt Ryan potentially playing his best game in years. The inside or outside breaking routes to Calvin Ridley were there all day long. Ridley was roasting every single Bucks cornerback that lined up against him. Monster day, 14 targets, 10 receptions, 163 yards, and a score. Even Russell Gage was getting free, 10 targets, 5 receptions, 68 yards, and a score. On the day, Matt Ryan was asked to throw the ball. 49 times ended with 356 yards and three touchdowns. Very little pressure, play action, Matt Ryan off his back foot, and just the constant separation that Calvin Ridley was creating once again was was special. But then in the second half, again, the Bucks get it going. Two third quarter goal line plunges by Leonard Fournette, part of his 14 carry 49 yard day, helped the Bucks get their footing in this game. And then there were really two moments, two critical moments that changed the course of the entire contest. On a second and six, Matt Ryan had Calvin Ridley for a 28-yard touchdown. But just as the ball was floating into Ridley's hands, rookie Antoine Winfield knocks it away just at that final moment. Then on third and six, Matt Ryan sacked, leading to a field goal. Next drive, Tampa Bay, deep shot to Antonio Brown without Isaiah Oliver on the field. Ends in a 46-yard touchdown pass, part of Antonio Brown's seven-target, five-reception, 93-yard, one-score day. Then, a later drive, Matt Ryan again, fingertips away from a deep shot to Russell Gage. Second down, yes, third down, sacked again for a massive, massive loss. Those two plays, if connected, sacks not taken on the following plays, could have changed the course of the entire game. A couple bright spots. Tom Brady really got his deep ball going today, something we hadn't seen in quite some time. Mike Evans looked far healthier than we've seen him in weeks. Seven targets, six receptions, 110 yards. Long catch of 32. A lot of stuff on the boundaries. And he was just a yard away from having at least one touchdown on the day. So yes, with Ronald Jones on the COVID list, Leonard Fournette did carry the ball 14 times, was crucial in some blitz pickup situations. Had five targets, three receptions for 16 yards, but those goal line plunges were were pivotal for him this week. And we'll close out this show with the Tennessee Titans beating the Detroit Lions 46-25. to Ryan Tannehill, five total touchdowns on the day. Three in the air, along with 273 yards, and two on the ground. 
I've actually always found it interesting that, you know, there are all these other athletic quarterbacks in the league, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, and then the one who actually played wide receiver in Ryan Tannehill hasn't posted a whole bunch of rushing production in his career. Anyways, today, two rushing touchdowns, and then obviously Derrick Henry in a game where the Titans win by 21 points, has 24 carries, 147 yards, a score in the ground, including this rumbling 33-yard carry and then he also just put a lions linebacker into the nether realm with his stiff arm i mean it was it was ludicrous what he did Tannehill's best throw of the day went to Corey davis a 75 yard touchdown pass that was in the first half i i don't want to keep stressing like what the titans identity is but they get misconstrued as just this running team and while that is what they do in the second half or with leads and i mean they just close you out Corey Davis, Jonu Smith, and A.J. Brown can make big, big plays, especially Corey Davis this year. In a contract year, what he's gone through personally as well, we have not given him enough attention in 2020. Jonu Smith came down with some fantastic contested catches, also made some plays after the catch. He looked healthier this week than he has in recent weeks. And A.J. Brown's touchdown grab, five catches, 44 yards, was just on a short pattern near the goal line. But we all know that he can take one, you know, 75 yards himself. And not to say he's going to be relevant this year, but Darrington Evans looked frisky. Darrington Evans, the rookie, looked frisky when he came into this game. Explosive, decisive, and also caught a touchdown pass. Their final one of the day. On the Lions side, Matthew Stafford, as we know, was very questionable for this game, dealing with plenty of injuries. He played for most of it, 22 of 32, 252, and a touchdown. I mean, the entire passing offense was going through Marvin Jones. 12 targets, 10 receptions, 112 yards, and a score. While Kenny Galladay is still mysteriously just out, Marv is still balling. Catches up high, catches down low, catches in the back of the end zone. He's doing it all. I mean, there was no other pass catcher who had more than 45 yards receiving on the day. DeAndre Swift did have a fantastic fantasy day. 15 carries, 67 yards, two touchdowns to go along with five targets for 15 yards. There were some positives for sure. But once again, he fumbled when trying to go over the goal line in this game. It was when the scoreboard was close. And yes, the Lions then sacked Ryan Tannehill on a safety on the preceding series. But that is just something that DeAndre Swift cannot do. You cannot fumble and you cannot fumble when trying to get into the end zone, period. But Stafford did not even finish this game. Chase Daniel came in and it makes a lot of sense when you're down by so much. All right, that is going to do it for us. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with the waiver show, then Wednesday evening with a game-by-game preview show. Up the Villa. Oh, the Villa boys. What a club. What a team. Brings joy to my heart. Talk to y'all soon. There's an announcement coming in a few days. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.